Don't know if you're aware of this uh, picture. If you travel between uh, on Highway 73 between Evergreen and Conifer uh, on Highway 73, you probably would have seen uh, the picture that should be coming up. Yes. Um, that was the world's largest lawn chair. And uh, if you're not aware, it was, it was erected uh, by a local church by the name of the Journey uh, Community Church. And it's Pastor Michael Chessire. And uh, uh, the Journey had been sort of a nomadic church moving from place to place until about six years ago it settled into Conifer High School. And they bought that piece of land uh, on which the chair was erected and uh, wanted it to be the future uh, site of their church building. And the church grew tremendously. They claimed to have over 800 in attendance. And it had a, a community involvement focus. So they had opened restaurants and they tried to open a sawmill. And then they promised to build a recreation center in Conifer uh, because the, the um, what do you call it, the... Um, uh, the ballot initiative to 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 form a rec uh, district had failed, so it, it, the timing was perfect in that a church would do this. And because of all that was happening, the newspaper loved it, and, and they wrote consistent stories about what this church had promised to do. It's just that most of the promises uh, didn't work out. Uh, there were descriptive terms about this church: quirky, edgy. Less God talk, a community uh, vision, out of the box, even contrarian. Uh, the people who attended loved the charisma and the energy of the pastor and the staff that he had gathered uh, of multiple interns out of Texas and Colorado. Well, the world's largest lawn chair blew away in one of our famous windstorms. <laughs> so did the church. Not only is the... Uh, <clears throat> Is the lawn chair gone? But so is the church. The Canyon Courier rarely gives three pages to many local events. Um, the last time I remember giving three pages was when they wrote about uh, the big floods of 2013. Here it shows a loss of faith with the pastor, Michael Cheshire. And then it shows church finances raise questions. It gives a history of, I mean, the, I, I even wrote a letter explaining, boy, this is some of the best research that you've done in a long time. And it even gave at the very end what were some of the debts that, that were still outstanding. And, of course, one of those was to the local newspaper for advertising. Um, and, uh, and yet when you add it all up, the, the debts were under $30,000. That's not too bad. Most of it was to the high school, Conifer High School that they rented. So $30,000, some of you have wasted that much on a bad car. So, you know, you, you say you live and learn. It, it, it's, that's not a disgrace. But the real problem is the disillusionment of so many people that attended. The disillusionment where they say, I thought I was never going to go back to church, and now, believe me, I am never going back to church. 
It is sad that so many people go to a rallying point looking at charismatic leadership or engaging programs or a motivating vision. And, and, and by the way, since I grew up a lot of my years in California, I know some people even choose uh, their church according to the facility that exists. It's easier to come to Bergen Park Church now with our facility than it was before. A larger parking lot, it just is easier to attend. I get all of that. But there is a big question that has to be understood and, and answered and dealt with. I understand that certain things attract people to various churches. But the biggest question is, what is the purpose of the church? I want to say this. If you believe that the church exists because it rallies around a certain leader, I promise you every leader will let you down. And if I haven't let you down yet, give me a few more weeks. (laughs) I will not meet all your expectations. I don't even know what they are. And by the way, I'm a limited human being. I, I will let you down. It cannot be the leader. Uh, Maybe it's a program, but no program is perfect. Or maybe it's the big dream or or the new goal that exists. However, no goal really satisfies long term. You see, if the goal does not come from the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, the goal will probably not be accomplished long term. Essentially, if it's God's church, what is the purpose of the church? If it's God's church and God is a a God of purpose, which he is, then understand that the church will align with God's purposes. And when it does, it will find God's blessing. But it must align with the God who founded it. So in this series of being on purpose, we started with a God of purpose that you see in in Psalm uh, chapter 8 and really just about everywhere. That God is a God of purpose first. He knows what he's doing. He knows uh, why he's doing it. He knows when he'll be done doing it. And the God of purpose has created the church. It's called his church, not my church. You might say, this is the church I attend. But essentially, it's God's church. And if, you know, if a fellowship of people begin to stray from God, take their vision away from him, then understand they'll probably be straying from God's purposes too. Uh, They won't care what God thinks. They know better by themselves. But if a church is truly wise, that it will work on understanding what is God's purpose. And more than that, what is God's purpose for us? Because the the churches that he blesses long-term will be those who are aligned with him. I want Bergen Park Church to be a church blessed by God. You too, I hope. And that we'd be able to say over a long period of time, God has done this. It wasn't our creative thinking. Nothing wrong with creative thinking. But what is the purpose of God's church? Well, you can often find purpose according to names. Can I? In Scripture, there's got to be 30 names for his church, maybe even more. Let me just point out a couple of them. One is called the Bride of Christ, and, and understanding that uh, in, in biblical days, the bride was not the feature of the wedding. It was the groom. Did they get that wrong or what? I, I, I never could figure that out. But it was the groom who had all the honor. Um, so 
the bride was one who brought honor to the groom. And, and what she would do is that means she would be radiant and pure. Another term was the church is God's vineyard, meaning it is producing desirable fruit, uh, fruit that everybody would desire. And another term is that it's called God's building. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 2, where this analogy is, is understood. Now, the, the whole thrust of this passage is talking about how Jews and Gentiles can worship together. But he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, talking to those who are Gentiles and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ uh, Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see what he's talking about there? It is a building. The foundation is the teaching that comes from the apostles and and the prophets or the teachers and the leaders of the church. The cornerstone, that which the whole structure is built upon, is Jesus himself, who starts the building through his death and brings people from everywhere together as his building materials. Now, this may sound a little bit crass in a way and a little bit demeaning, but it's not meant to. You're a piece of drywall. Or maybe, guys, you like this. You're a stud, okay? Or, 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 or maybe you like, you're a brass faucet. I, I don't know what you, but the building materials that come together are designed so that uh, Jesus has brought them from all around to, to uh, erect something that is beautiful, not just to him, but to the world. So you are his material. He has brought you from everywhere. And he brings you together, not just to be another home or a commercial structure, but it goes from being a building to being a temple, meaning somewhere where God dwells, a holy place. Now, if you haven't heard this here before, you, you'll hear it now. No building is holy. Only people are holy. There's no building that is so uh, sacrosanct that I can't walk into it and just stumble right in. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful if I'm into a certain temple and, and whatever of another religion. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go in chewing gum and scratching my head if I was in a Buddhist temple. I, I wouldn't do that. But the temple's not holy. You are his temple together. He has made you a building that, that has become a temple. And it says here that, that it is so beautiful that people assume this is where God dwells, among the people. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So God takes these people from many backgrounds and from different religions and age groups and ethnicities and education levels and and wealth and culture, and he places them together like a stone structure. And the outcome is to be this. When people who are not of the church look at the church and, and they see how it all fits together, they say, man, what a building. But really what they're saying is, What a people. 
These people stand out from other people that we know. And eventually, and, and, and really of essence is what they're saying, is not just what a building and what a people, what a God. They're saying what a God. So some will look for our flaws as the people of God. Not hard to find. I've, I've got many. Others will look at our past and say, oh, you know, people only become religious for a short season of time. They're holy Joes, but not forever. They're holy Josephines, but just for a few months. But if someone is looking for God, where will that person find God? Well, we, we say they can see it in the creation, and that's wonderful. But what Paul is trying to say here is you also see it in his people. God has made his people into a beautiful dwelling together. And that's what it says. You are joined together, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So, hear this. We exist so that people will see us and will honor the God who has made us into his building. We exist to bring honor to him. Not to our leaders or to our programs or to our facilities. We exist to bring honor to God. And that is essentially what happens as Paul goes through and he he works through the the, the whole uh, next chapter in chapter 3. And he describes how he's praying for the church. And and in his prayer, he he describes that it would be a dwelling that would be strong for, for the protection of his people. And powerful so that can have great effect in the community around it. And and a loving display of Jesus' love. And a church that is so full, not in terms of people and, and numbers, but filled with God's spirit. Just overflowing with the way God works in people's lives. So, friends, I want you to know, I read this letter about every... Um, about every late November as I go through the Bible. And every time I read Paul's letters, understand chapters, uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he's talking about God's building, the church. And, and I stay glued because I say, this is what he's doing. And if we stay glued to God and his purposes, we will understand God's blessing and we will see it. Every time I read this, these first three chapters, I walk away with a greater respect of what God has in store for his church. But it has to stay glued to God and glued to his purposes. And if a church will work at God's purposes, the church will find God blesses it supernaturally, not just humanly, but supernaturally. Now, we're living in a secular society. It's becoming more secular all the time. And so when people describe, you know, tell me about this church, they'll tell you about human things that they see. This is the church that has this great program. And the program is designed to do good things. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's what they, that, that's how they describe it. What are you seeing supernaturally occur in the lives of the building? God's building, the people, that is what counts. And so it is to be a building that is so powerful and has such a great effect that, again, people will say as they're stuck, I mean, as the church is stuck to God's purposes for it, they will say how marvelous God is 
because we see how he is at work blessing it supernaturally. And when a church sees God's blessing accomplished by its power, there is a conclusion that Paul makes that, is, that just blows me away every time I read it. And I'm going to read it. Please stay in your seats. Don't get blown away like a lawn chair. Okay? Stay right where you are. But listen very carefully. Because he's just gone through the prayer of what this church in Ephesus will be like rooted in God's purposes. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. What a God, right? What a God. To him be glory. Now get these next two phrases. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, because we live in a secular world, because we live in, 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 you know, even in a community where we find churches rise and fall and, and sometimes they're, you know, disillusioned people or even have been disgraced in some way, we say, to him be glory in Christ Jesus. When's the last time we said to him be glory in the church? Isn't it remarkable how the two are put together and the church comes first? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Paul had a reason to put the church first. But isn't it amazing that the two are right there together? To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, I I don't know about you, but when I read that, I say, that's the church I am a part of. It's bigger than Bergen Park. It's a church around the world. But that is the church that I am in. To him be glory in the church. I'm going to say amen. Anybody? Some of you just became Baptist. Was it hard? <laughs> it must have been really difficult because you Lutherans and ex-Catholics, I mean, that, oh, I can't do that. No. You read that and that's the, because Paul said it. Amen. And when we read in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus, what we are looking at here is that when God puts them together, it is so remarkable that we are put next to Jesus. Jesus, who feeds 5,000 with only five loaves and a couple fish. Jesus, who calms a storm on a sea by just saying, hush, be still. Uh, Jesus, who heals lepers and casts out demons. This Jesus deserves glory. And Jesus, as God's son, is is the one who eagerly sacrifices his life on the cross so that we might be forgiven. Jesus deserves glory. Jesus, who rises from the dead. Deserves glory because it's awesome. But before God receives glory for his son, God also receives glory from his church. It is remarkable that the two are together. And one reason that it seems so remarkable is that sometimes we get so busy building lawn chairs or being edgy that we forget why God has a church at all. Think through what is the outcome of God's church and thus what should be the outcome of Bergen Park Church or any church. 
And it's to make God look good. It is to bring glory to him or to bring honor to God. It's to bring honor to God and and, and honor to God only. So here's the question. And this one, you're going to answer a little bit later, but here's the question. How are we doing? In, In your, not humanness, but in your understanding what God desires for the church, how are we doing? A church knows how it is doing by how it is accomplishing God's purpose for it. And we can say, you know, our, our job is to honor God. Our, our goal, our, our whole purpose is to honor God. But we need something a little more tangible. And Jesus gave us that. And, and, and if a church uh, understands that it's bringing honor to God, it will show it is in a very practical way. And we sometimes think, well, how is it honoring God? Well, by the fact it's growing numerically. Or some might say, uh, because it, it faithfully presents God's truth. And those are important. And, and others who are more secular would say, uh, because it has greater esteem in, in the community around it. But Jesus explains to his disciples what would bring the most glory. And, and it's this. He explains to his disciples that what's going to bring the most glory or honor to God is by the fact that there's more disciples of Jesus. It's not necessarily that seats are full, but there's more disciples of Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples that they are to make disciples as they go beyond themselves to other people. And they're to speak what Jesus has told them to speak. And they are to take those who who put their trust in Jesus and baptize them. And then they're supposed to be teaching them to obey. So he says, go and make disciples. He's assuming they're going to go. He says, it's sort of like, as you go, make sure you're making disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. And as he describes what a disciple is, uh, someone who is baptized because of coming to faith and someone who is taught to live for Christ the rest of their lives. And I call a disciple this, a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. A lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Not a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I'm not a disciple. And I've had seasons in which my my walk with God has been far more intense than others. And I've been far more attentive and far more obedient than other seasons. But I continue on, and I plan on continuing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I, I tell you, friends, I keep investigating not that I doubt Jesus, but I just want to know what people are thinking. And every time I, you know, I, I listen, I say, you know, is there anything better out there than Jesus of Nazareth to follow? And I hear what people are saying, and I go, boy, that's, that's really, that's really useless. Um, I, I mean, I, I honor your dedication, but... Oh, man. Do you realize where that's going to lead you? I have never, have you, found a better purpose in life than the purpose of the church in making disciples, lifelong followers of Jesus, who would follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We have a diagram we like to show in terms of what what makes a disciple because sometimes we, we, we get this a little wrong and we don't understand what human nature is like. And this diagram has really helped me quite a bit. Uh, it, it, it's not, you know, there's many ways to describe humanity. One bad way is three circles. 
But, but there you have three circles. We understand that in our lives, we, we are, uh, you know, we have several facets. One deals with our head and our heart. The other one with the relationships we have in our lives. And finally, the activities or the, the, the way we spend our schedule. And, 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 and you look at this and you go, okay, head and heart. Now, conservative churches like ours have worked very uh, intensely on the head and heart. As soon as somebody places faith in Jesus Christ, we put them in a class. Here's everything that you need to know to grow. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that I, I, I think making disciples is a very holistic thing. And so we will have programs, and there's nothing wrong with that. We put a, a new believer in a class, and they, you know, in that program, they study, they memorize, they, they learn skills. And it sort of reflects our whole education system here in the West of earning certificates and earning degrees to show that we are qualified. But knowing enough to pass a test is not knowing enough to live a life. I have been through more classes than most of you. Oh, have I been through more classes than most of you on how to live the Christian life or how to study the Bible or how to uh, know what it means in its original languages. I've been through a lot of classes. And, and so I've had the formal education. But what I use today uh, is only a fraction of all the classes that I've gone through. And last Sunday, we had a welcome to the family class for new people. And, and, and as they were sharing what do they notice about Bergen Park Church, one of the things they said is that we're used to, in our churches, putting more emphasis on the head and the heart in terms of your program, that, that, that head and heart circle. And, and friends, I heard you, and we are working on that. But they also reflect to us um, things like this. Why do you stay around so long after church? Well, if you live in Colorado, you're new to Colorado, you've one thing you need to know is it's not Bronco season, and by 11 o'clock, everyone will be gone in Bronco season. And we understand that, okay? We're, we're, we're not fighting the Broncos. Um, uh, but usually, people, unless they have a, 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 you know, a really important appointment, they stay around. But more than that, we meet consistently from house to house, in homes, in small groups, where we are learning to study. And one of the things that comes out of these groups is actually the way I first began to grow. And, and I'm going to share this and um, uh, uh, because I also heard it from somebody else just recently. As a new Christian for the first five years of my life as a Christian, I found reading the Bible extremely boring and hard to get anything out of it. I know none of you are like that. And, and, and so I'm glad that I'm in a class of superior human beings. But I found it very difficult. And, I'll, you know, if I was having trouble sleeping, turn to Ephesians. Because I just couldn't tune in. I found that the classes that I went to and, and other things... You know, it would fill my head, but it wasn't necessarily changing me uh, and changing my heart that much. And so I began those five years. Where did I learn most? I learned most through relationships that you see there. What do you mean by relationships? Well, uh, new people became my best friends. Christians became my best friends. I kept my old friends, though I was able to spend less time with them. 
but from my new friends by their example, by being around them, not by being in a course, but by being around them, I finally started to pray because why? We would meet together, we would pray, and eventually it'd be my turn. And praying out loud or just praying in general was difficult. Probably the biggest change that occurred my first year as a Christian was how to date as a Christian. Later, I learned how to have a quiet time, how to study the Bible, how to treat others uh, the way Jesus would treat them, and especially they had to change my attitude and my treatment towards my parents. Their examples became my practice in so many ways of daily Christian living. And that is why I love to spend time with other people just talking about how is it going in terms of growing in Christ. That's why I love being face-to-face with people rather than just reading their emails. As Proverbs tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, you know, to, to, to sharpen a, a knife, you've got to put another knife next to it or something that's going to sharpen it. It takes some contact. And the most intimate contact I can think of is face-to-face. So the problem in American culture with, these, with this idea of... of um, the importance of relationships for growing as disciples. The problem is, is it's extremely costly to our schedule. We are so busy with so many things. It's costly. The third circle is activity. And these are the ministries we join, the practices we develop, the service that we perform and offer to God. And and so I continually hear from our Sunday school teachers. They say, I learned so much by preparing my lesson and and then teaching the children more than I've learned in your sermons. And I go, I get that. I get that. Why? Active learning, not passive. Now, a less secure person would be hurt. And this... Secure person is sometimes hurt when he hears that. But I smile and I say, great. What God is doing to you and through you is having a deeper effect than anything else you've ever done. And so it is getting involved in the activities. Uh, when the men go up to, um, uh, to help, the, the, especially the widows or the elderly uh, up at the village... They, they provide skills and they do it in the name of Christ and they do it out of love for the people that they're working on. And, and, and they get so much out of it. And they're growing as disciples. It's part of their activity. Last week I had a lunch with a young man and, and, and this, uh, you know, amazing situation. Um, uh, he said to me in January, Jim, I, I'm a relatively new Christian. Would you help disciple me? And it was January, and we were moving into our facility very soon. And I hope you never have to say this. I said, can you give me a few months? Why? I'm really busy. (laughs) And luckily, he waited. Um, But I never want to be able to have to say that again. It's not that the building's a great thing, but man, the, the load on so many people of getting it done meant that some of the activity time was taken by, by just doing this, and it was done in the name of the Lord, and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But he said, Jim, 
will you help disciple me? So we looked at this together. I just sat down and I said, tell me your story. And his story was much shorter than mine. And, and, and he said, you know, as I look at that, uh, what comes naturally for me is activity. I'm a doer. I said, I get that. So let me ask, studying the Bible hard? Oh, yeah. Hanging around Christians? Oh, I've been, you know, seasons of my life pretty much a loner. You know, I, I do have friends, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't spend a lot of time around Christians. And, and so what I'm trying to explain is, it's all three. This is a aha moment that we had in the leadership here, understanding that all three contribute. Otherwise, why do you think Jesus sent out the twelve two by two so that they could do the work that he was doing and do it to more villages? And so as he sends them out two by two, they come back more excited than any session they'd ever been sitting down with Jesus and listening to him. He said, do you see what God did? Lord, we got to tell you. And I would say that the fact that 11 out of 12 of those followed Christ not just for the rest of their lives, but gave their lives for Christ, showing that activity is important. And it's the same now. Humans grow in the faith the same way now as they did in 30 A.D. And this is what God's ultimate purpose is. Not just to make disciples, but notice it says, in all nations or of all nations. He wants to do it around the world. And we will do it until Jesus returns. So friends, I I just want you to know, I love lawn chairs. I love huge lawn chairs. That doesn't bother me. Except when it results in disillusionment. I love rec centers. Love rec centers. I love all the things that attract people to God. Edgy is okay. So is contrarian. But listen, the purpose for God's church is that God would receive honor through transformed disciples. That's the purpose. God is honored through transformed disciples. God is honored through transformed disciples. And therefore, when disillusionment comes, and it does, they still are following Jesus Christ. When they are discouraged, they still are following Jesus Christ. When they feel like they've been betrayed, they still are following Jesus Christ. And they choose him first. So last, two weeks ago, I gave you an assignment just talking about God's purposes. I want your opinions. How was Bergen Park Church doing in helping you follow Jesus for the rest of your life? How are we doing? How is Bergen Park Church doing helping you follow Jesus for the rest of your life? I know some of you say, well, I made that decision 40 years ago. I've been following you ever since. I don't need Bergen Park Church's help. Oh, come on. You're just a week away from turning your back. Because I see it in Scripture all the time. How is Bergen Park Church doing? in helping you follow Jesus Christ. You can phone me. You can write an email. You can grab me after church. You can phone me at 2 a.m. in the morning, but I'm not answering. Uh, You can write me a letter. You can do it any way you please, but I'd really love your input. 
And if you're saying it's not doing much of a job, then I would like to know what could we do better? If we want God's blessing, we will be on God's purpose for his church. Simple as that. Let's pray. Lord, in all of our great inventiveness and creativity, which you've put into the human soul, and all of our ability and power in the human flesh, we cannot, we cannot, on our own, earn your supernatural blessing. But you freely give it when you see a church that is working according to your purpose. That we want to honor you by continuing to reproduce transformed disciples. Lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Father, I am certain that some people here are discouraged this morning. Or just bored bored or they evaluate you know I I did this for a while it was okay but I stopped nothing bad's happened I understand all of these human expressions of moving ahead and slowing down and maybe even moving backward in the faith I pray You would help us concentrate on bringing you honor through transformed lives. Transformed because man cannot do it on his own. Transformed disciples. And I pray that I'm in a group of people this morning who agree wholeheartedly. I pray for the unconvinced person, Lord, sitting right here, taking it in, not certain, uh, maybe not even know why he or she came. I pray for that person, simply asking, what else better do you have going on? And Father, I pray that there would be a desire in our hearts to continue to be transformed for the rest of our lives. Following you as your disciple. That's your purpose for your church. That's your purpose for Bergen Park Church. Head, heart, relationships, activity. All work together. Thank you. God's people said,